From APM, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. We're in the second week of a series on rural schools. We started with an episode on public schools in Vermont, a state where over half of the students are enrolled in rural districts. A recent law in Vermont encourages educators to deal with declining enrollments by consolidating small rural schools into larger, more centralized ones. The episode we aired last week focused on people in those small towns who often objected to the law, which is known as Act 46. Under the preferred model in Act 46, you know, that, that model pink slips two-thirds of the, of the school volunteers in Vermont. Not only do the kids go to the school, and not only do the parents go to the school, but when there's a basketball game, the whole town goes to the school. When there's a chorus concert, it's what's happening. And it's not just about wanting to see your fourth grader. It is the heart of the community. And that comes at an economic cost, um, but removing it comes at a social cost, a huge social cost, and ultimately an economic cost. Today we're going to hear from one of its proponents. Dan French is a school superintendent in southwestern Vermont. He joins us on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. First off, you're in charge of something called a supervisory union, which... Sounds like a kind of a wonky term, but let's get it out of the way first. What is a supervisory union for those of us who don't live in Vermont? Yeah, it's a centralized administrative structure. It's common in northern New England, originated around the early 1900s. Uh, the idea at the time, we had, um, I should say in Vermont in the late 1880s, there were multiple school districts per community. So we had these small, essentially one-room schoolhouses. Each one had its own school board. Uh, so in our town that I'm in right now, for instance, there might have been 14 school districts in a small rural community, each school board representing its own little school. In the 1880s, uh, there were about 3,000 school districts in Vermont, and the state mandated a consolidation down to about the current 280-some-odd school districts. Um, around the turn of the century, though, they decided that uh, there'd be a system where these districts would share superintendents, uh, central office, so to speak, and that created this entity called the Supervisory Union. So... I'm the superintendent for 11 school districts. We're essentially one school system, but we share the superintendent, and each each one of those districts has its own school board that governs its own district. So what does Vermont look like in terms of demographics, and how has that impacted education there? Well, you know, as, as all of northern New England, we've had a decline in number of students. I think we were um, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we had closer to 100,000 students, and now we're quickly approaching 80,000 that's been significant. We nationally have the highest cost per pupil of any state, and we're struggling making decisions that can lower those costs while at the same time maintaining the quality of our system, which also is quite high. We've had a series of policy initiatives in the last few years uh, around this issue of governance and governance consolidation. It's not necessarily school consolidation, but governance and consolidating school districts. The precursor to the current law, Act 46, was this law called Act 153, which encouraged voluntary consolidation, and that didn't work out too well. We had essentially one school district in the state took the state up on that. Uh, so Act 46 is really sort of the next iteration of this idea, and it's essentially forcing districts to have a conversation with their neighboring districts to see if there's an opportunity for consolidation. But there's an implicit threat that come 2019, the state is going to force some consolidation of school districts if you're not able to work it out locally. Folks who are against uh, Act 46 say that it really kind of cuts at the heart of what many towns and communities are built on, which is local control, local involvement, that kind of thing. How, how do you respond? Yeah, I think, you know, it's definitely a tension-filled conversation. Um, but I think I think the issue, you know, it's one of perspective. And if you look at it from the perspective of the folks, uh, the adults who live in the communities, that you know, that's totally understandable. And I certainly, you know, working with the 11 communities I work with, I understand that very, very much. On the other hand, if we consider it from the perspective of students, 
you know, how our students today define community is different. Our students don't see their individual little towns as being their community. Their communities are much broader. And, you know, as, as a professional educator, I have my primary concern is with the future of opportunities for students and increasingly limited opportunities in these smaller high schools in particular. You know, and we're not talking about, you know, the consolidation we talk about on a national level. We're talking about building large school districts and moving kids many miles. You hear horror stories about kids riding hours on buses and so forth. You know, in Vermont, we're talking really about consolidating micro school districts into small school districts. So, for instance, I have a school district. I have two school districts that have under 20 students. You know, so that, that kind of thing is just, it's got to go away at some point, and it inhibits our ability to, to offer opportunities for kids. And the, the other thing that sort of manifested itself because of our structure is that we have a growing inequality of opportunity because, you know, we can have these silos of, of governance. In some communities, you might find high schools that are struggle to offer the bare bones basics, and right next door, maybe five to ten miles away, you'll find a comprehensive high school offering all the bells and whistles of a modern education. So increasingly, those things are becoming intolerable to defend. So there is a tension, certainly, but I think, you know, if we look at it from the perspective of what's best for kids, we're going to have to figure this out. And I have faith in our communities that they will be able to figure it out, but it's, it's definitely a tension-filled conversation. How many schools have been consolidated uh, across the state, say, in the last, well, since Act 46 was uh, was passed? Yeah, once again, it's not schools being consolidated, it's school districts. And it's it's not to say that I think there is an expectation down the road that schools will close, but the idea of consolidating school districts would be to to empower a larger regional entity. Because um, in Vermont, you know, usually it's not uncommon to find that there's one school board or one school district governing a single school. So when you start talking about it, cutting costs or addressing the, and the inefficiencies of that, really the, the tools the school board has to work with is, is a single school, more often not a small elementary school. So the idea is to consolidate school districts and, and create a board that now oversees a group of schools, and then they can struggle with those more difficult conversations about closing schools or consolidating programs. But under Act 46, the first phase of the law, where there was maximum incentives, if you will, we call that the accelerated merger of school districts. And those districts are essentially the ones that were ready to go, you know, had fairly simple systems. And I think we've had upwards, uh, around 12, I think, have gone forward, which was probably twice as what anyone expected. 12 out of? Well, we have 284 school districts in the state, something in that ballpark. We've had 12 go forward on the accelerated option in this past year, which was considered to be a great success. How many more should be consolidated? Well, I think, you know, that's what we're going to find out in the coming year. So it'll be interesting to see how many more go forward. I would expect somewhere, you know, probably in the 2025 or so, uh, would be able to merge this in this coming year. In our district, we're looking at, you know, from a regional basis, going down from about 15 school districts down to four. What does a successful merger look like? What do you need to do, and what tops the list of things not to do? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a complex topic. I think you have multiple sets of stakeholders involved. You know, certainly from inside the organization, you have to, you're building a new culture with a merged organization, so you have to be attentive to the idea of the current employees being able to create a coherent educational system out of what could be um, parts of organizations. I think, you know, the bottom line is that there, there must be a, an argument to be made that expanded and more equal learning opportunities are going to be provided to students. I think certainly there's a taxpayer component to this. The taxpayers are expecting that there's going to be lower costs over time, so that must be demonstrated at some point. And I think the big one is the issue of community that you've raised, that there, there has to be some mechanism built into the merger that allows for continued uh, community voice in the education process, because that's prized in Vermont. It's been... And I would agree is part of our great success is that we've had deeply embedded community opportunities for input. 
So we need to ensure that the merger can, can account for all those elements. Can you give an example by name of a merger that you thought went well? Yeah, I th- I'm working with a set of districts, Essex-Westford, which I think is going very well. You know, these are very complex, you know, large organizations, larger than many Vermont organizations. And they did, an, I think, an excellent job of, of navigating the political element of building community support and finding a way to make an argument for expanded learning opportunities and lowered costs over time. I think, you know, with their merger, they're essentially going to eliminate one of these central offices. We talked about supervisory unions, so essentially a central office is going to be eliminated as part of this merger. So they're going to have those immediate savings and then hopefully long-term savings. But it, I think it, it's an example of two high-functioning school districts finding an opportunity to work under the law, and I, I'm confident they're going to create expanded learning opportunities for their kids. Does this have any impact on things like uh, sports teams and rivalries and that kind of thing? Yeah, and some of the mergers being contemplated, those those can be very thorny issues. You know, who are we going to play basketball against second? <laughs> you know, um, in one place, I worked uh, for 15 years in what's called the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, uh, arguably our most remote area of the state. And my old school, when I was principal there, had about 300 students. Now they're below 200 students. And they're, they're talking with merger with their New Hampshire neighbors. They're on the Connecticut River on the border up there. There's, there's not many other neighbors nearby. Uh, but they've already sort of started to work out that sports team issue. They, my understanding is that they have New Hampshire students, so they have a merged varsity program because there's fewer students available to staff those sports. So in order to keep basketball going, their arch rivals are now participating together on the same team. So I think these things can be worked out, you know. Is this part of a trend going on across rural New England um, and even rural United States? I think so. Uh, we certainly, you know, as, as Act 46 was being contemplated, were attentive and paying attention to what was going on in other states. Um, I think, you know, in particular, Maine had passed a law that essentially forcing some consolidation. So I think there was an attitude among uh, policymakers that I know that were very uh, interested in avoiding any mistakes, you know, that could be made. But I was, I was kind of surprised in the last few years how there really was a growing consensus that something needed to be done and that governance was part of the solution. I think, you know, we're, I don't say we're in a crisis, but certainly the financial situation is not pretty in the state in terms of funding education, and the inefficiency of it's pretty obvious in terms of the cost per pupil. That in particular, there was pressure building politically to come up with a solution. And then I think most recently in the last year or so, it as our Secretary of Education really uh, started to expose some of the inequality that the current system is essentially responsible for, that really, you know, is the straw that broke the camel's back, and that really pushed this piece of legislation forward. Dan French is the superintendent of the Bennington-Rutland Supervisory Union and writes about education policy in Vermont. Dan French, thanks so much. Oh, thank you. You can find a link to more of Dan French's work at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, you can listen to our archive of more than 100 documentary projects. We'd love to hear what you think about American Radio Works, and you can let us know at our website. You can click on the About page and scroll down to Share Your Impact Story, or you can leave us a review on iTunes. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and on Twitter at AM Radio Works. Support for American Radio Works comes from Lumina Foundation, the Spencer Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. APM.